Hello, it's Nick Brown, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease in Childhood. Welcome to this month's podcast. I'm here, as always, with Rachel Egbeko, our Senior Editor. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Nick. Good to be back again. An interesting issue in June. Very interesting. Any thoughts on themes running through? Just going through through the papers, what struck me was that this time round it might be a theme of taking a second look, challenging assumptions, having a slightly broader take and not jumping to conclusions. Yeah, I certainly picked that up as well. A good first example is Professor Stavros Devaris' paper on the escalating concern of increased domestic physical abuse during lockdown in England. And the findings, I thought very interestingly, were not quite the same as some of the earlier COVID conclusions. They performed a multi-centre retrospective observational interrupted time series analysis between 2018 and 2020 in eight secondary or tertiary paediatric centres in England. They looked at radiographic skeletal surveys and head CT imaging as the outcome or numerator performed for suspected physical abuse and or child protection concerns in almost 1,600 children. What did you think was flagged most in this paper, Rachel? So what I took from this paper, Nick, was um, a second look at actually putting data to very legitimate concerns. So lockdown, one might expect increased stress. There's a, a lack of capacity maybe to mitigate that. People in smaller environment, children not going to school. So quite legitimately thinking that there might be a heightened risk for physical abuse. And certainly there were messages in the start of the period in lockdown that that might be the case. So what this group has done is actually looked at the data and just take a second look at our assumptions. And although it's worrying that of those nearly 1,600 children, there were positive findings in about 580 cases, so either fractures and or head injury, which in and of itself is concerning. What they didn't find was an increased either severity or number of problems suggesting physical abuse in the domestic environment. So this was a a multi-centre study, again saying multi-centres might give a slightly broader look than a single centre, by experts in radiology and with an open mind actually testing their hypotheses. And although it's concerning that we are still looking at child abuse, there didn't seem to be a signal that there was an increase during lockdown or because of lockdown. It's a bit early, I'd say, to say, hmm, there isn't a problem. I think we still need to be vigilant uh, and there may be data to be found down the line. But so far, on second look, there isn't a huge amount of concern in that regard, which is important because it will inform policy decisions. It will inform people looking after children. So having the appropriate information on second look is vital. Let's go 
to hypotheses and the hypotheses testing. Dr. Rahul Thomas and co-authors from Australia put data to their hypothesis that tracheomalacia may lead to bronchiectasis. Now, this is quite a tricky run of things, so I'll just go through that. So the proposed mechanism for tracheomalacia causing bronchiectasis is that there's an impaired mucociliary clearance secondary to an ineffective cough from a partial airway closure, which leads to retained secretions, which then in turn leads to chronic lower airway infection and inflammation with subsequent airway wall injury and bronchiectasis. And what the authors did was perform an unmatched case control study with cases being children with bronchiectasis found on a chest HRCT scan and controls for children with an oncological diagnosis or bone marrow transplant. The accompanying editorial by Dr. Shivankar and Stevan Unger, they raised the implications of this paper. What might be that we don't dismiss chronic cough as something that children will grow out of? I thought it was fascinating. It's quite easy to put a chronic cough down to other factors, if you like, and not necessarily afford it the attention it deserves. And I guess one of the issues is that chronic cough is fairly common and that a little bit of inspiratory stridor as a result of laryngomalacia, which is often a genuinely normal variant, is also quite common. But when the two the two are found together, it appears to be another story. And this paper really opened my eyes to the fact that this needs to be taken seriously. And there are issues like threshold for investigation, bronchoscopy, even CT thorax, for example, makes us very wary of that and perhaps will alter our, th- our threshold for investigation. It's tricky, though. As you say, there's a, there's a large number of children with persistent cough. So how would you choose which one of those might merit further investigations? I agree. And I, I'm, not, I'm not sure we had enough granularity in this data to be able to make that next step. But from a hypothesis generating point of view, it's a very interesting start. Indeed. And I think we also just need to be aware that although there might be an association, causation hasn't, hasn't been proven in this paper. I think one always has to, again, have an open mind. And even though there is an association, causation may not necessarily be the case. Well, let's move into global health and look at preterm birth, one of the leading causes of child mortality. And the one area, or one of the key areas, both in the millennium and sustainable development goal areas that remains rather stubbornly hard to hard to bring down. And the question that's posed by Rebecca Richards Cortum and uh, others in Malawi is whether technology can actually improve survival, stroke, reduce mortality. And in their study, the uh, question was whether CPAP, continuous positive airways pressure, in an environment without access to either surfactant or invasive mechanical ventilation can help do this. And they describe their findings in their intervention in a cohort of small, low birth weight babies in Malawi. 
So plenty of discussion points. What were the most salient ones for you, Rachel? Well, the first thing that I, I thought of, that this would have been quite an undertaking. So small babies with a very high mortality rate in a setting that has limited resources and a very ambitious goal of introducing CPAP across 24 hospitals. And and it's not just the the intervention per se, CPAP, as you can say, that's a technical intervention, but just putting in kits won't work. So as a quality improvement process, which started in about, I think, 2013, there was a baseline measurement of of mortality. Then there was an implementation process, which included education and also monitoring of the implementation and ongoing training uh, by peers. Wills monitoring the outcome of interest, which was uh, which was mortality. I mean, that's that's an extraordinary thing to do. Although you can say that maybe the intervention was successful, and 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 that's not to be sniffed at, because you can say there was a one point six times higher survival in those babies receiving CPAP versus oxygen. Actually, mortality decreased from 82% to, say, 70%, which is still extraordinarily high. So there is a reduction. There's an amazing work done. And still we're looking at very high mortality rates in a, in a vulnerable population. So at first look, you can say that's an extraordinary achievement. Absolutely. When you look again, you say we've still got an unacceptably high mortality in this group of, uh, of babies. And another paper in this edition of ADC describes a systematic review and meta-analysis of CPAP use in resource-limited countries. There it's more all-comers, um, and there is the intervention per se, where there are mixed messages. So again, it it's a call to sort of think carefully. So at first look, great success. And then secondly, so what were the actualities of outcome, what group of children or babies are we talking about, what were the interventions beyond just the simple acronym CPAP, what worked, what didn't. And I think it's important to bring in that wider look again here. Agree. Real life is is complex and um, I don't think any single study is going to, going to solve this or arguably any single meta-analysis. So lots of unanswered questions, lots of, lots of food for thought. There's a lot more in this issue and we've had to choose and we'd love to carry on for another hour or so and look at, look at them all, really. But I think we need to wind things up for this time. Really appreciate you listening. Enjoy the rest of the issue. It's all on at adc.bmj.com. Thanks for today, Rachel. We'll see you next time.